I know. <laughs> yes. Hello. Welcome to Chapter One, Take Two, the podcast where we decide which is better, the book or the movie. Seems silly, right? Because the book is always better. But today we're going to ask the question, today we're going to ask the question, does the movie capture the essence of the book? We've got a great cult classic for you today, but I'm not going to tell you any more about that. I'm one of your podcast hosts, Brianna, and this is my co-host. Mitty. Hi, Woo! everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for uh, joining us on our second episode. <laughs> Very second. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around. We probably seem like newbies because we are. <laughs> no, we seem so rehearsed. Oh, I thought today uh, we could talk a little bit what, about what makes us qualified. To do this? Yeah. I mean, I totally, well, I did. I took five years of media studies at high school. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I have a brother as well who is always given me a good move vacation and told me if I liked a movie that was crap so, <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely feel like uh that has influenced my tastes into something that's probably of a higher caliber than otherwise would have been I think I mean I was an English major and I studied theater yes but I think what really qualifies me is the fact that I love to read books yes you read the m- more books than of anyone I've ever met before <laughs> Uh, let's get into it. Today we are doing, as Bree said, the cult classic, The Princess Bride. Oh my god! Oh my god! I actually hadn't... My parents had the DVD for an incredibly long time, and I just thought the cover looked so obscure, it never interests me. But, some fun facts about it. The book was written in 1973 by... It's an oldie. It is an oldie, 1973. Uh, written by William Goldman, although he implies it was written by someone else in the book, but we'll get into that later. Uh, the f- book was then adapted into the film in 1987. It had a budget of around $16 million uh, and grossed just over $30 million. Um, marketing around the film was a bit low. It was uh, compared by the director to The Wizard of Oz how it wasn't as popular as it could have been, um, but it really grew in popularity in 1988 when it came out on VHS. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what we're covering today. Did you want to give us a bit of a summary of the book and then the film? Yeah, I was just thinking about um, how much it, like, they have that list on Rotten Tomatoes about, like, the 100 best grossed movies of all time, Mm. just based on the box office, and I wonder where this would be if it had been marketed better. Thank you for actually reminding me. I do have the ratings here. <laughs> um, IMDb has it 8.1 out of 10, which is pretty good. Yeah. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it's 97%. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised that it is 97. I wonder how much of that is based on nostalgia and how much of it is based on the film. But either way, it's a great film. Well, you think people go back and rewrite their reviews after feeling nostalgic about it? No, like... Um, it reminds them of other swashbuckling romances. Because The Princess Bride... Or, I mean, Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes isn't that old of a website. Oh, yes. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so a summary. The Princess Bride, the book... The book. Is actually a... It's an abridged book <laughs> within a book... So the idea is that William Goldman has abridged uh, The Princess Bride, which is by S. Morgenstern, 
And he talks about why he chose to abridge the book and how he went about abridging the book and how it was important to him. And all of that information is false. So he creates a narrator and a world that is false. And then he abridges the book and the book that he is abridging doesn't exist. This is the only version of The Princess Bride that there is. So um, anyway, The Princess Bride is about two lovers, Wesley and Buttercup, who are separated. And the links they go to to be reunited with the help of true love, Inigo Montoya and Fezzik the Giant. And it is also, I think, about a father or grandfather, depending on the book of the movie, sharing his love for reading with his grandson or son. Definitely. I think both the film and the book have that in common. Yeah. The book also has another kind of subplot about anti-establishment, but um, the movie doesn't really go into that. Mm. So with that, let's talk about Spot the Difference. That's one of our first segments. <laughs> that didn't quite work, but no, okay. No, we went out in sync there. That's okay. all right. And the first big difference that I noticed, besides the fact that the intro was massively cut out um, and the narrator doesn't exist, which is, makes sense to me, uh, is there is a granddad instead of a dad. Yeah. It's interesting because is the film just changing that and implying that Wildman Gold, William Goldman is the grandson? And if so, why not just have his father read to him instead of the granddad? I wonder if it's because in the edition that we read, you get Buttercup's baby, uh, which is like an epilogue yeah. sort of chapter. I'm really, to be just to cut in there, I'm really glad that exists. Like, you, me too. I didn't, because that only came out with the 25th anniversary edition. And if I had read the novel without that ending, it would have... Upset you. It really would have. It would have been a, akin to when Margaret Atwood finished uh, The, Handmaid's, the Tale. Handmaid's Tale and it just cut off and I threw the book across the room. <laughs> How could you do this to me? How could you throw a book across the room? Yeah, that's fair. I didn't actually. I just wanted to exaggerate. I'm just kidding. I totally threw the outsiders across the book. Uh, across the room. <laughs> I threw. I threw it across the room when I when I uh, one of the characters died. I wonder if it's because in in the part about Buttercup's baby, when the um, false narrator, which shares the same name as the actual author, uh, when he. When his son finally starts to love the book, he's an adult and he has a kid. And so he would have read parts of that book to his son and grandson. That's it. Yeah, actually, I hadn't even thought about that. That's true. In the novel, William Goldman has a grandson that he writes about. But how much of this is true? Because in real life, Goldman only has two daughters. He doesn't yeah. even have a son. So I wonder if he was writing about the fact that he didn't want a son instead. No idea. I don't know why he picked a son. Maybe just to differentiate. Or maybe it was more about his relationship with his father rather than what he actually wanted. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anyway. I wonder if his teacher is real. Like, that's what I want to know. Is his teacher real? Yeah, the English teacher who who writes the sentence, Temple of Gold? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Other differences. Oh, the dad doesn't seem to be an immigrant in any expressed way other than he has a bit of an accent. The granddad, you mean? Yeah. Because in the book, the dad... It's very specifically an immigrant and talks with an immigrant accent, never really picked up on English. Um, Whereas the grandfather in the film is just Jewish. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Buttercup isn't dirty all the time, which is really, I think, an interesting part of of the book. And I think it would have been an easy thing to include in the film. In the book, it is discussed discussed a lot how Buttercup doesn't wash behind her ears. She doesn't wash her hair. She doesn't... She's described very much as she doesn't care 
about the fact that she is so beautiful. Like it literally counts her down in the top 20 of the most beautiful women in the world. And she increases her attractiveness by getting more clean as the book goes on. But in the film... And also loving Wesley. Yes. The more she loves Wesley, the more beautiful she becomes. Yeah, different things. The tragedy she goes through and that kind of thing makes her, you know, more wise and that makes her more beautiful. But that that isn't talked about at all. And also where are her parents? Yeah, her parents are absent from the film. But I don't think it's ever expressed anywhere in the film that they're dead. They're just not there. Yeah. Some people think she's an orphan from the film but that's just them assuming because they're not around but they are actually the beginning of the book like you said is very different Mm. and that's the whole thing is cut out like Buttercup actually meets the Count who is later on an important part of the film originally Count Rogan and his wife who's also cut out yeah moving forward the there are eels in the water in the movie but it's sharks in the water in the book yeah I don't know why that'd be necessary other than the fact it'd be easier to make maybe smaller eels rather than big sharks. Or they didn't want to use the same animatronics as Jaws. I wonder, because I don't know when Jaws came out, so maybe that... It would have been around that same time. Definitely. Uh, The Zoo of Death is completely cut out. I am a bit unhappy about that. And it's changed to the Pit of Despair. They changed it to the Pit of Despair rather than the Zoo of Death. Still a dreadful place to be, but I would have liked... The the, title? but no, I would have liked the zoo. I liked the fact that there were levels and they each had a purpose and the fifth level was always kept empty for one day when the prince would have, you know... His and how that represent his, his, his fear, essentially. Yeah. yeah, and I really liked that. So I wish that had been in the film. Yes, I put in here the introduction and idea of William Goldman versus S. Morgenstern. I also put in here... What do you mean by that? The oh, S. Morgenstern is only talked about in context of when the grandfather introduces the book. Oh, yeah, he just says, this is written by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other big difference that I noted was that the ending in the movie is the same one William's father told him, not the real one. So in the book, the idea is that William's father reads The Prince's Bride out to him while he's sick. He actually skips over massive parts that includes the history of Florin, the country where it's set. And then at the end, the book ends with a massive cliffhanger and you don't actually know if Buttercup, Wesley, Inigo, and Fezzik make it to safety or if they get captured again or if Wesley dies. And the grand or the father, William's father, made up a different ending that they all lived happily ever after because he knew that his son would appreciate that ending more. Yeah, and that's how they decided to make the film. Yeah. yeah, in the in the film, they never do the, uh, the cliffhanger. Did they get away? Yeah, it's just assumed that they do. Yeah. I've got a few differences as well. Visually... Humperdinck, the prince, is also described very vividly as being barrel-shaped. Yeah. Uh, And in the movie, he's just a normal guy. If anything, probably older than he should be. Yeah, I guess in the book's description, I was picturing somebody more like the first king um, in Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. You know? The hunter. Yeah. 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 No. What's the annoying boy's name? It's his dad. Yeah, no, I know who you mean. Uh, the evil one yeah the evil one yeah I don't know they both die yeah but he yeah no I definitely I, rounder yeah yeah um, because he is a bit of a spoiled brat so that would have made more sense yeah oh <laughs> this is just me when Wesley pursuing Buttercup's kidnappers he gets to the cliffs of despair and you see his ship he's supposed to be the dread pirate Roberts which is like a large pirate ship like feared of all the seas and he has a very small ship when he gets to the bottom of the cliffs. Is he sailing in the Dread Pirate Roberts at that time? In the ship? Is he? If he's not, that's great, because that would actually make sense 
But I thought... That the reason they caught, that he was able to catch up was because he was in the fastest ship. Well, also, like, his crew could have dropped him off because I know that they're waiting for him around the edge of the fire swamp and mm. they could have just sailed the boat around there. But is it, like, a dinghy that he just left there and then it's abandoned? That doesn't seem right either. Never bothered me. Well, I was just thinking about it because mm. he seems so grand of a pirate. Yeah. That's, that's the only reason I really, I really cared at all. Um, the scars on Iago. Inigo. Inigo. The scars... Iago was the bird yep. from Aladdin. Yeah, different thing. I just see the eye. <laughs> um, Inigo's and face. And Iago's a villain. Yes. Inigo is not. No, he's got... Oh, that's that's a huge difference as well. Both Inigo and Fezzik have wonderful backstories in the books that aren't even um, really brought up in the film. And Inigo gets more of a chance to like kind of... A bit of a summary. Yeah. Comes at a different spot. It does. But yeah, yeah they... The motivation behind their characters is just so much deeper and you really empathise with them a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, that's book. They get they have they have the time to do that. I love their sword fight though. That's just me. <laughs> um, the whites, so those are the four horses. They ride um, away on, on yeah. the end, yeah. And they're they're at the end of the film, but Prince Humperdinck, these are the he's tried his treasured possessions, so he actually is supposed to ride them while pursuing Buttercup, which is a good explanation about why even though he's so far behind in pursuit, he catches up in the film. He's just like, oh, I'm a good tracker, and that's it. Both film and book don't have a reunion scene with Wesley and Buttercup at the bottom of the valley, but they blame it on the film, on the boy not liking kissing, whereas in the book it's actually commented on by William Goldman as though it wasn't written by S. Morganson. Yeah, and there's this big bit which actually happened where he said... William Goldman, the author, said that they he had written a reunion scene, but that his editors wouldn't let him put it in the book because it's supposed to be an abridgment, and that if you wrote in to the um, address of the editors of the publishers, that they would send you that that reunion scene. Yeah. But then in real life, you could actually write in to the publishers, and they would send you a letter saying, "Oh, it's going to come out this time, or it's not ready yet, or it was lost." So you would never actually get it. It was just a bit of a joke, uh, which I really love. I love that they committed to that. I'm so glad that they committed to that. The layers of this book are a lot, but those are just the main differences that I noticed between book and film. So, Just before we transition into reviewing the book, with the differences, one of the ones I didn't talk about, Buttercup's hair is supposed to be the color of autumn in the book. And it's blonde in the movie. And I always think with things like that, like the hair color or length or eye color, like get contacts or dye her hair or give her a wig, a good wig, ideally. I just feel like it's one of those things. It's such an easy thing to change. Yeah, it is. And it's always about, a bit disappointing when it's not yeah, done. Yeah, like, like Harry's eyes. Are yeah. Not the same color as Lily. Apparently they did give him contacts for one scene. But he was allergic. But he, yeah, he, he had a bad reaction to them. Yeah. Honestly... For some reason, even though I read the book as her hair colour being the colour of autumn, I just still imagined it a brown, but I wasn't thinking about, they were talking about the redness of the leaves Mm. kind of thing. To be honest, because she's supposed to be this beauty, if they did dye her hair, she would have to look very intentionally specific. It probably would have had to been a different actress, because if you have red hair and you don't have the skin tone for it, you do look weird. Weird, yeah. 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 And so, I mean, she's a wonderful actress. So maybe that was it. Yeah. Robin Wright. It was her breakout film as well. Like, that was like. Yeah. Before that, it. she was a soap opera star. Yeah. Which she wanted to get out of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you think. Because they cut out a lot. They cut out Fezzik's backstory. They cut out the Zoo of Death. They cut out a lot of Inigo's backstory and uh, the story of how he trains. They cut out 
the entire introduction, essentially. Mm. And they cut out a lot about Buttercup and how she loves to ride every day and how dirty she is. They cut out all of that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it takes away from the film? Or do you think that it's the only way they could have adapted it and made the film a reasonable length? I think it's always the way that they try to get the kind of introduction out of the way as fast as possible so that you can get into the meat of the story. Because mm. at the beginning, the novels, you get to meet Buttercup's parents and the Count and Countess come and find Buttercup and there's just lots of staring at Buttercup. <laughs> the woman, the girls in the village are staring at Buttercup because they're annoyed that, that she's taken all the boys and the boys are all staring at Buttercup. I guess they would have liked, if anything could have been added that was in the book, it would have been more interactions between Wesley and Buttercup that kind of explained more of their dynamic and why they were in love with each other. Because mm. you only have that one scene where he reaches over to get the picture and they're like, oh, there's sexual tension. They must be in love with each other. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's the point, right? Because it's a parody. And that's kind of the thing. Wesley loves Buttercup because she's pretty and Buttercup seems to love Wesley because he loves her. But in the book, he does chase away the other boys and that kind of thing. And he doesn't hound her like they do. Sure. Because they're like, why, what do you think of the sky today, Buttercup? And she's like, I don't know. And they're like, do you think you're too good for us? And she's like, no, I just, I don't mind. Mm. You know, and they're all giving her a hard time. Whereas Wesley's like leaving her alone and not harassing her. Yeah. That's a really nice aspect of Wesley's character. Character. But anyway, those are all the differences that really yeah. bugged me. But we can jump into the you. review now. I think... The review's probably going to be a little bit tougher because the film is a very good adaption, so there's a lot less to critique. Right, so with that, let's review. <laughs> I agree. I think the film is a very good adaption. I, I don't think that it could have been done much better. Considering the time, definitely, and they did commit to it fully. I, I guess for me, when I read the book, I found it a bit more serious than what the film... In, the film felt more like a comedy romance rather than like a swashbuckling action romance mm. like even you know there's like torture and death in the zoo like i find prince humperdinck should have actually been quite a threatening character but it, it was played down a bit maybe to attract more for the child audience i thought it was played in a way that was through the eyes of the kid hearing the story the first time in the way that William Goldman heard the first story the story the first time hmm. like the character William Goldman in the book yeah yeah like yeah. so I thought it was it was that version it was the way that he heard it and the way that his father told it to him um to help him fall in love with the reading yeah no that makes a lot of sense and I think that would explain uh a lot of the kind of it glazes over the darker parts and that kind of thing whereas it's more about uh, just the story just continues. There doesn't, there isn't really a point of despair. You just, you're never really afraid that they won't succeed, even though Wesley technically does die at one point. Yeah, I think, I think that's one of my favorite aspects, is because in spite of the fact that he literally dies, well, well he he's, had... up, he's almost dead. Yeah, uh, and in spite of that fact, he, you always know they're going to win, and I think that's kind of the way that they make fun of it. Um, and also the part when they're standing on the wall and Wesley says, oh, this is impossible. We can't storm the castle. I mean, if I had a wheelbarrow and then they're like, oh, we have a wheelbarrow. Well, if I had a, a Holocaust cloak, oh, we have a Holocaust cloak. And it's, and it is. We happen to have everything we need to succeed. Exactly. And that, yeah. and that seems to be the way that modern fairy tales are told. Yeah. 
without um, without even the explanation of it which yeah no that is absolutely true but that's interesting that modern fairy tales are still told that way even though this was made like the film was in made the in the 80s like, yeah but the original fairy tales uh that all of the modern fairy tales that we love are based on were dark yes that's absolutely true you know yeah if you made a mistake, you you died, or you got turned into a bird, or someone chopped your hand off, and that's literally or what your happened. foot, yeah, or anything like that. Um, yeah. But I mean, I loved it. The casting to me was essential, and it was so on point and done so well. Even even with Prince Humperdinck, I think that he makes a more interesting character in this context if he is a bit handsome and lively. Yeah, definitely, and I think that that's film as well like you, he, yeah. he does need to still he has that prince air about him which you know makes a lot of his actions more reasonable yeah uh, I, I agree with the casting I think uh, Carrie Elwes 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 you you eulogy he plays Wesley he the first film I think I ever saw him in was Liar Liar with Jim Carrey where he plays more of a dorky mm. like I haven't stepdad. seen that film in such a long time but I remember really liking it I used it. to be when, especially when I was growing up I was a huge fan of Jim Carrey mm. so I've seen a lot of his films but it's interesting seeing him in a film like that and then seeing him as Wesley who is the classically beautiful athletic hero which is when obviously he was a bit younger but he see w- I think the first film that I saw him in would have been Robin Hood Men in Tights and then I think I saw <laughs> Princess Bride because I didn't see it until I was in 8th grade right well that would have been an accurate representation of him in Princess Bride anyway. absolutely yeah. it would have been great you know and, but I wouldn't have made that connection I probably wouldn't have made that connection until very recently that's fair yeah if the film was remade Wesley's character would probably look a lot different as well like he looks very lean as yeah. Wesley whereas today he'd probably more look like a, a Chris Hemsworth very like much broader and bigger and I think that's what a lot of men look like today as far as the leading leading man yeah it's interesting to see the silhouettes change because we talk a lot about in the media about how the female silhouette has changed from a Marilyn Monroe uh, type silhouette to uh, something much thinner mm. and we we don't talk as much about how the male silhouette has changed but it has watching this movie really solidified that in my mind because Inigo is tiny. Yeah, and he's described as incredibly athletic in tone and that's, you know, he's like the male ideal essentially in the book and so that, but that's also how he is described. So he is, he's very lean and yeah, it is, it would be really different today to watch uh, the cast, to see how the casting would be done differently. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what Buttercup would look like today. Yes. What the ideal well, beauty would look like today. I wonder how much it has changed. Yes, but also how would it be changed in terms of uh, her strength as a character? Mm. Like, would they... Because there's a scene in the movie where she is fighting the rodents of unusual size. She is fighting them? Well, that's my point. So, literally, she picks up a massive log and Wesley is trying to pull the rat away from her... And instead of going to hit it, she just awkwardly pokes at it. <laughs> and I just was watching that in the film. And I, it was more annoying to me because I wanted to be like, just hit it on the head. Yeah. What, what are you doing? Also, for the vast majority of that scene, she is standing away watching Wesley. Get attacked. Yeah. 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 And I, I'm not, 
Yeah, I wouldn't behave that way probably if I was in the same situation. I would say that is something the book does 100% better that takes away from the film is that it seems like the book is more self-aware uh, in regard to the, the stereotypical female princess damsel in distress character. Yeah. Uh, and there's a really great scene that elaborates that that's in the book that's not in the movie. What scene is that? Oh. Yes, I've got a passage here uh, that in the novel that actually illustrates that really well. It's when Wesley and Buttercup have just realised that they've been reunited. He's, his mask has come off uh, from being, you know, the Dread Pirate Roberts, and now Buttercup realises that it's him. And this is what he says to her. Uh, when I left you, he whispered, you were already more beautiful than anything I dared to dream. In our years apart, my imaginings did their best to improve on your perfection. At night, your face was forever behind my eyes, and now I see that the vision who kept me company in my loneliness was a hag compared to the beauty now before me. Enough about my beauty, Buttercup said. Everybody always talks about how beautiful I am. I've got a mind, Wesley. Talk about that. Throughout eternity, I shall do that very thing, he told her. I yes. just... Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think because in the entire book, everybody talks about Buttercup in terms of her beauty, including Wesley. And that is why she's considered desirable. It is because of her beauty. And people refer to her as being unintelligent quite frequently, but they never actually ask her to solve anything. Yeah. And they, in the film, at the end, after she's just been married to the prince and she is thinking that Wesley isn't going to come for her, she goes into her room... And is about to kill herself. Yeah. Whereas I think the buttercup of the book still does that. But I don't know. I feel like she would have thought of some way out of it instead. Like rather than just deciding to end it all. I guess I'm not bothered by that. Because I think it still plays into the parody of the idea of there only being one person for you in the entire universe. And also that you could love. And I do think that people do love people so much they want to kill themselves if they lose that person Mm. I I wouldn't ever make fun of that but I think that especially when you're young you feel like the first love that you have is the it's the only love it's you know it's that um it's that Taylor Swift song uh 15 you know it's it's exactly like that you think that the person that you love uh when you're 15 consumes you and they are you and they are everything that you need them to be Mm. and then you grow up like two years and you're like oh no. She is 21. She is. She is 21, <laughs> which but, is probably the oldest princess on record I love in it. any of these books. Uh, that's an, that's a, a huge plus for me, for both the film and the book. In the book, it specifically said that she is 21, and in the film, it happens to be that the casting... Um... <gasps> Robin Wright? Thank you. <laughs> Robin Wright is 21 when she plays the character, so it actually works out pretty ideal. Yeah. I think what bothered me, something that's included in the book that they really didn't have time to go into in the movie, but maybe even a line tossed in there, is that Buttercup seemed to be aware of the significance of taking up the opportunity to be queen. Yeah. Because she has a bit of a say in it. At least slightly more of a say. And she seems seems to be, like, it's her idea to walk among the people and she wants to be among them and let them know her. And I think that shows quite a significant wisdom and compassion that isn't often necessarily given to uh, to princess characters. Definitely, and uh, you know her relationship with um, the prince 
is based on the fact that at the beginning he approaches her and said, I want you to marry me, you're so beautiful. And she said, I will never love again because this is when she thinks that Wesley has just died. Hmm. And he's like, I didn't say anything about love. And so she sees the opportunity and knows that he's on the same page. So she's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. But also with the scene where she's about to kill herself, I love that Wesley is in the room the whole time lying on the bed and just when she's got the dagger to her chest he speaks up to stop her mm. he waits for her to walk uh, i just think that's really funny yeah, the humor in the in the film and the book are both wonderful it's it's so beautifully expressed yeah. and uh i would definitely say this is the most the most quotable film that i've ever watched yeah i didn't realize because i saw this film a couple of years ago and I wasn't prepared for exactly what genre it would be. And I didn't like it. Like, I found it a bit annoying because I didn't realize what it was, which is a parody of the classic romance fantasy films. And so it kind of went a bit over my head and I didn't really think... I thought it was too silly. Mm. And now, since reading the novel and learning more about what William Goldman had in mind and the detail behind the characters and you know, how he had talked about it being done by S. Morgenstein? Morgenstern? Morgenstern. <laughs> watching the film the second time, which this I don't think this happens very often, after reading the book and watching the film a second time, I like the film a lot more because I have, excuse me, I have the context that the f- book provides for the film and so I feel more emotionally connected and invested in the characters that you don't have time. I think this is one of those rare cases where the book gives you the background to have that emotional connection and the film just visually brings it to life, but it doesn't irritate you that you don't go that you don't get to have all that detail. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz I found the film very satisfying and I like the ending that they just write off. Like I think that is a classic trope as well. They literally just ride off into the sunset on these horses when you don't really think about, oh, they probably would be chased by the <laughs> army and yeah, the prince. absolutely. Because the prince is just tied up and he's a prideful character. And Inigo is bleeding from the chest. And Wesley is... Still recovering from being almost mm-hmm. de- mostly dead. Mostly dead. Yeah. yeah. I think something that comes through, I think, in the movie... That kind of makes up for the context that you don't get if you haven't read the book is how connected the characters, the actors were to the characters they played uh, in the... Yeah. There are, are specials. There's one on YouTube, I'm sure. There's also on the on the credits uh, in the special features on the DVD. You can see a bit of a like background around the making of the film. And something that Mandy Patinkin says really helped him bring his character to life is his his father had recently died from cancer and so when he kills count rogan the six-fingered man it was like he was killing the cancer that killed his father Mm. and uh, i mean what a great line when he says tell me you'll give me anything you want and then count says yeah i'll give you anything you want and he says i want my father back you son of a bitch and then stabs him like oh it's probably one of my favorite revenge scenes and death scenes in in cinema history it's just it is so well set up and so well yeah, executed. I cried. I, I just thought oh, it was so, like... So emotional. And he's building up, you know, by saying, Hello, I am in Toyo Mende. I forgot. 
Prepare, I'm prepare to die. I am a Nigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare, prepare to, to die. die. Mm. Yeah, and even because Mandy's talked about how he didn't anticipate how popular that quote would be. Yeah. He's like, I didn't have a lot of lines, but then I didn't realize how many times I'd be saying this line, and then it became incredibly popular. So that's really funny. Yeah. That's also similar with Andre the Giant, how similar he was with his character, because it's written about in the book how he's the size of a full-grown man by the age of nine, and then his parents train him to be a wrestler. They love him very much, but they are quite poor, and they know that if a re- he becomes a, a famous, successful wrestler, then they will be able to be more financially secure. He is a very passive person, so doesn't actually enjoy the violence of wrestling. I don't know how true that is for Andre the Giant in real life, but I know that by the age of 12... He was seven foot four and no, sorry, six foot four. No, no, sorry. By the age of 12, he was six foot three and 94 kgs. And when he was a full grown adult, he was seven foot four and 236 kgs. That is just a ridiculous size. Yeah. And I've never thought about it being so inhibitive until we were doing a bit more research on the film. And there's an interview with him talking of what he enjoyed most about being on the show, on the film, was that people weren't staring at him for the first time in his life because he wasn't out of place. And both um, Rob Reiner and William Goldman knew that Andre the Giant was going to play Physic because he's the only person in the world who could, but he also was a gentle giant. Yeah. And it it suited him so well. It comes through so much in his character, and I think in the book, maybe not so much with Vizzini... Uh, but definitely with Inigo and then with the men in black or Wesley, he finds the place where he belongs. And uh, we say that again with Buttercup's baby, like he is um, Waverly. Yeah. Wa- Waverly, Buttercup's so it's baby. Like the female their child. version of Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure is what that is. So Buttercup's... He's their protector. Yeah. And he, Buttercup's baby is an extra chapter at the end of the princess bride and i really am glad that it exists because it basically it talks about the four of them escaping to one tree island which is surrounded by all these whirlpools and that's the reason the prince can't get to them and they stay there so long that wesley and buttercup have a daughter together but only like buttercup actually dies during labor and then physic is possessed would you say we don't know we don't and know and we'll never know he what? is overcome by a spirit a spirit who has extraordinary midwife knowledge <laughs> and so he literally sterilizes wesley's sword and has does a cesarean mm-hmm. on buttercup which... i sort of imagine if that was put on film i sort of imagine like julie andrews being the voice of the being <laughs> you know yeah wouldn't that be great Oh, yeah, that would be pretty awesome. Um, It's just, it's tragic that Andre the Giant um, passed away. Yes, he was only 47 years old when he died. Um, But uh, historically it is, um, it's just physically harder for their bodies because they are so tall, so big. They just have to work harder and their organs aren't always, I don't know. I don't yeah. know, but I'm not a a doctor. Yeah. (laughs) In case you didn't know, I'm not a doctor. Sorry, carry on with... um... Buttercup's baby. Buttercup's baby. I love that alliteration. I I love the chapter so much because what happens is Physic helps birth 
Waverly and Buttercup then recovers and he basically becomes her caregiver and he's able to anticipate any of Waverly's needs and she calls him Shadow because he sits in the sun while she naps so she doesn't get sunburned. God, how cute is that? It is! It's oh wonderful! Oh my god! And uh, I just, I love that um, Goldman added that to the book because it gives you a type of satisfaction that having it in classically with them riding off into the sunset doesn't give you any more because we are so used to those tropes. But then he does it again, his classic like sleight of hand thing when the cliffhanger yeah the cliffhanger yeah. where Waverly is kidnapped by a man with no skin and then Physic who was guarding her is running after them and then jumps after over and jumps a, off, off a cliff the, off the cliff and you don't and that's it that's, you don't know if they survive that's how the chapter ends and you don't know if they survive and I that's incredibly frustrating but also I want to hear now about Waverly's life like I'm sure like maybe we could build some sort of Momentum and get Goldman motivated to write the full, the full book of Buttercup's Baby. I don't know. I kind of don't want it to be written because if it's written and it's not as good. But I think Goldman wouldn't would publish it. It would be a different story. But um, I think if it's not as good, it would break my heart. Um, I think that the movie is so wonderful I, there are some themes in it that I think are also in the book. They're obviously more pronounced in the book, but there are there are themes. There's this theme around love, and I think that's something that it, it captures really well because Buttercup and Wesley's love is obviously the central love of the plot, but then there's also Inigo's love for his father, which mm. is a great subplot. And there's Fezzik's love of rhyming, which is very, very briefly touched on, but I think is still important. And also Inigo and Fezzik's love. For each other. For each other. Is, yeah. Because they are almost the brothers that neither of them ever had. Yeah. And they've found each other through all the grief that they've gone through. And I just think that's, that's a and beautiful... And Fezzik really looks after Inigo when he finds him near the end of the film. And helps him recover from being drunk. Yes. Um, but then there's a contrasting set of love. So there's Vizzini's love for himself and his intelligence. Mm-hmm. And there's Count Rugen's love for pain. And then there's... Prince Humperdinck's love for hunting and it's really I I mean it's 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 obvious there's you know selfish love and then there's wholesome love mm. and compassionate love and it's you know those different loves are attributed to the villains and the heroes respectively yes it is a very classic tale that just kind of makes me think about how from you listing that there are there's just Buttercup in the film who's a female and everyone else is a male. Is a male. Pretty much. Yeah. Except for... Um, the old queen. Yeah, the old queen who's very briefly... But Eddie. also Miracle Max's wife. Yeah, the witch. The witch. Yeah, even though she's not a witch. No, she's not a witch. I don't know. I, I have nothing to... I mean, it is just a reality of when the film was made. and But also... The kind of story. Uh, that the kind is. of story that it is. I think that if they had tried to force any other female characters into the story, it would have felt forced and contrived and not really good feminism. People would have also been upset about the remake, I feel. Because if they had changed... Like, someone, for me, who could be a female character instead is Inigo. Hmm. And I don't feel like that would take anything away. But... I think if it was to be redone now, 
that could be a recasting choice, but I think it definitely had been done in the 80s. People would not have taken to it well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think... I think... I, I, I don't have an issue with the casting. I think that um, it is what it is. And I have to love it for what it is. <laughs> definitely. And it is a star-studded cast. Like, uh, Billy Crystal plays Miracle Max. There's Andre the Giant. He is a hoot. I love him in everything. Um, some fun facts from the film. The director, Rob Reiner, had to keep leaving the shooting of when they were doing Miracle Max because he couldn't stop laughing yeah and it was the only injury that uh mandy patinkin mandy patinkin sustained during filming even with all the fencing him and uh carrie i just think their names are a bit odd <laughs> um even though they had to learn fencing from scratch the only injury that mandy sustained was bruised ribs from holding in the laughter of when they were doing that filming with Billy Crystal and I think that is so funny. Yeah. I love stuff like that. I think it's really amazing. I think this goes back to, you know, the characters really committing is that Mandy Patinkin and Carrie Elwes trained for what, six months? Yeah. Every full day, time. full yeah. time learning defense because they really wanted to nail that scene. Yeah. They wanted to get that classic swashbuckling uh, adventure and I couldn't remember a lot of when I watched the film the first time and when we started I was really nervous about that scene because I wanted it to be done really well Mm. and I wasn't disappointed like the way that they fight they have you know they even have some gymnastics in there and I'm sure they're wearing harnesses at one point um but yeah I I thought I thought they did a really good job and I really enjoyed watching it and I think that it was so well done like it could um rival any lightsaber fight we have these days yeah absolutely and i think that really speaks well the other thing that i really like um in that scene and other scenes and this is something i think they captured really well in the book is the weird sense of honor that the characters employ when working with each other like when um they're starting in and inigo says you seem like a good fellow i i hate to kill you and then gary always says um you seem like a good fellow. I hate to die. Yeah. I just, I love that. I think that is so funny that he doesn't say, I hate to kill you. Yeah. He no, says, it's way hate, better. It's way better to say, I hate to die. Like, yeah. when I read that, I was like, oh, man, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's that's another thing, too. A lot of the great dialogue from the book is copied directly into the film. Yeah, that's and a really good aspect as well. Yeah. Because a lot of the time, with adaptions... Well, it probably helped that the screenplay was also done by William Goldman, who wrote the novel. Yes. But that's something we haven't talked about. I wish. Like, ah, oh, it's hard because not all novelists can adapt screenplays well or are good at screenplays. You know, I think that... <laughs> um, Fear. Continue. Uh, the Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald is a great example of when authors shouldn't be writing screenplays. Uh, but... William Goldman did such a great job at this. He really did. Yes. I don't think J.K. Rowling has... She doesn't seem to have quite a clearer vision as she did for Harry Potter, so that's probably... Affecting it? Yes. I guess I think (laughs) written into every contract, it it would be great if authors had the opportunity to have a go 
at the script or present a Different. script. I don't understand why production companies are so averse to authors having input on when the film is adapted. You have a loyal audience. You mm. have the money-making power to give them what they want and they will come and see the film. I guess times. I guess it's like, you know, P.L. Travers with Mary Poppins. Then they're trying to avoid that. But I think... But some authors are more than happy to get... They should have the option to get involved if they want. Hmm. Hmm. Like, they've already... By that point, they've already sold the rights to their book to be made into a film to the production company. That's true. I guess it's hard, because what we got with Mary Poppins is a classic. You know, I love it. But it's not like the book. And it's not what she wanted. It's not what she wanted. Yeah. Um, That's totally fair. But in this one, it is what we wanted, because... The script is there in the novel, so why yeah. why are you changing it so much? Yeah, and I love that. I do. There are so many lines like that. That so one. so many lines. Um, obviously, uh, my name is Inigo Montoya. That one, um, but also some of the some of the new lines that were added, um, that were great. Is this a kissing book? Um, I also really like the line "I will always come for you," which reminded me of "I will always find you" from Once Upon a Time, which yeah. I thought was um, interesting. I wonder if they were. Uh, influenced by that with that is this a kissing book that's said by um fred savage who plays the grandson and at the beginning he is deterred by that fact but at the end of the book he asks his grandfather to keep going and he's like no no no, this is a kissing part and he's like i don't mind so much yeah every every line that it's fred savage right every line that fred savage delivers is perfect just honestly he's just like i guess i'll try to stay away Thank like, you. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the film is very quotable. Um, yeah. I, you're, is... you're reading it wrong. You're reading it wrong. Buttercup doesn't marry Humperdinck. I just love that. I, oh, that's so good. Yeah. He doesn't die. Yeah, I think viewing the film and the book through the eyes of the child hearing it was just a stroke of genius. Absolutely. Like, yeah, the way it was written is, it makes, it just, it's enthralling. Uh, I also think there's just a funny, if you watch this, if you watch the film when the grandfather is going to leave. I don't know if he's supposed to be flustered or something, but he stands up and he pats his pockets like he's checking he's got everything and he says, okay, right. And he says it about six times before he finally heads to the door and then awkwardly does a turn back to be like, as you wish. And I just think that's hilarious. Like he just looks really unco. (laughs) <laughs> and I just think that's really funny because I don't know I really liked his delivery of As You Wish it, it seems I, real creepy to me when I was a kid and I, I watched I was like wait is Granddad Wesley yeah there's always like that isn't it like uh, when they did that in The Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe mm. they've got the professor and he says once a king or queen in Narnia always a king or queen and I was like are you freaking Aslan yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's not. He just happens to be the magician nephew who has been there before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something we um, we haven't talked about yet, but I really want to touch on, um, is the practical effects and the on-site filming, I think, were perfect. I think that's exactly how they should have done it. I'm really glad they did a lot of on-site filming, and I'm really glad that they stuck to practical effects. Not that there would have been a whole lot of other kinds of effects available at that time. <laughs> Definitely. But well, one of the concerns I have with movies that are like this today, or movies that will be that will be made that are like this today, is that so much of it's CGI. And I think 
I love CGI. I think it has a place. I think animation and computer animation has a place, especially in in space movies and stuff like that. But I mm. miss practical effects. I think there's a cleverness. Um, well, yeah, you have to be so inventive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just and the puppetry. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I um, I mean, I don't know how the small people felt about being rats but i thought that looked really perfect <laughs> I, I would i would be disappointed i think if they were cgi r-o-u-s's i think i just don't think it would have been as good i just yeah i even prefer them to puppets because you see them moving as big giant rats and they're scurrying along and they seem i think it the fact that they move because obviously humans are only meant to walk on two legs but they look even more scary because they're a bit distorted with the hands and feet of yeah. the person inside yeah. them. Like, there's a predator coming towards you and it looks insane. Like, it's going to destroy you. Yeah. And I think that's really funny. I really love when um, Buttercup's dress catches on fire. I love the fire shooting out. I think it would have been really fun to work on the pyrotechnics of that scene in the in the fire swamp. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. Like, I think with films made in the 80s and the 90s, there is a, the nostalgia that we if we watch them today for people in our generation you see like et like you see the animatronics and you know they are if you think about it as an adult they're kind of creepy looking like mm. really scary like the labyrinth but yeah. uh, as a kid you seem just mystified with them and it's awesome seeing them be physically real because a child's imagination like they are real so it's cool seeing them being interacted with with real humans yeah and i think it's magical to be able to go to places like warner brothers studios or film lots and see those things and we got an amazing opportunity to go to um a museum in seattle where we got to see like the sword from this film and i remember being so enchanted by it and it and it's disappointing to think of watching this films. This film yeah when was that in seattle at that big museum. There was the fantasy section. We went through the tree. Oh, yeah! All that realization. Oh, yeah, that was in the... um. What was that museum called? Mm. It was like... It wasn't modern. MoMA? Yeah. Something like that. It had an acronym and a weird name. Yeah, that was really cool. That was like a weird fantasy room. And then oh, there was, it was a so Jim, good. A Jimi Hendrix... Yeah. Thing and was it Jim Hendrix? Was it? I feel like it was someone else. There was the puppet man, and then there was the guitarist. Okay, uh, but yeah, that was such a cool room. I mean, for so many reasons, but the, I really enjoyed being able to see the props from that. And I am always disappointed when I know that something is CGI because I know I'm never going to get to see that space <laughs> in, in real life. Yeah, in real life. Yeah, no, definitely. And I remember I when I was reading the end of the chapter, and. Um, William Goldman, the character author in the book, is talking about visiting Florin, which is not a real place, but is a real place in the context of the book. But it's not a real place. Yeah. He's talking about visiting um, the Cliffs of Insanity and the Fire Swamp, and I was like, wait, because I didn't know at that point that that character was made up. I was like, wait, Florin is a real country? It's very meta. I, can I, can I go? Why have we not? Let's make a plan right now to go see the fire swamps. I have to see the Cliffs of Insanity. I would love to see the Cliffs of Insanity. But they, they were filmed in a real place. Yes. So there are parts of it that we absolutely can see. And I definitely need to do that. Yeah. Some of the scenes, because there's, the castle was a real castle that they filmed inside. It actually was a museum at one point. 
Yeah, with real um, artifacts and yeah, tapestries. The original tapestries. The furniture was all real, which yeah. is in the amazing. Film, in the film, the original castle tapestries are what you see. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, that's super cool. And there's the ravine, like the ravine that they go down when they're running towards the fire swamp. That's, that's the same place. Yeah. It reminded me a bit of New Zealand, to be honest. Yeah. It just looked like rolling hills, like mm. Hobbiton. Yeah. Uh, but I think I, I just cannot rep practical effects enough. I really wish we would see more of them today. Indiana Jones, Princess Bride type stuff. I just really love practical effects. Definitely. I can't think of a film right now. That would be a modern one, but I'm going to think on that. Mm. 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 This is a segment where we do... This is the final segment, and we're going to ask the question, do we want to see the film redone better, closer to the book? Do we want to see the exact same film remade, but with newer technologies? Or do we want it retired, don't do it again? What do you think? I think we're going to have the same opinion again as we did last week. I... No, last week was... No, no, no. Do it again. I mean in the sense that you and I are going to have the same opinion. Oh, we're going to match. Yeah, okay. I would like to see a remake. I think the film was done beautifully the first time. It's for what it, it's supposed to be a satire. It's, it's, it's so many genres. Adventure, fantasy. Uh, and to see it remade with modern technology. The modern, like, you know, mm. high definition. Uh, I'd be happy to see that. I, like I said at the beginning, this was a harder film to critique because it's the, good. <laughs> the, the film is really good, <laughs> whereas there was a lot to say about Alan Enchanted and how the film. Yeah, geez, Rob Reiner, you should have made it worse. What's your problem? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I would love just to see it remade and uh, keep a lot of the same, the the feeling the same, the the humor, the action. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and see. Oh, I'm a bit torn. Part of me would love to see it updated, mm. and part of me fears that it's going to be CGI and they're going to cast the wrong people and it won't have that same beautiful dynamic where oh. the characters are personally invested. So I'm hesitant. I think it would almost be better just to retire it because it is such a classic. It is so important to so many different people that if you were to try and remake it exactly as it is, you... It would either be not as good because it's just not the same, mm. or, or they'd ruin it. You know? Okay. Well, there's a tie here. Uh, maybe we should get our feedback, get some feedback from our audience. Yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah, what do you guys think? Please tell us. Thank you so much for listening. This has been our second podcast of uh, chapter one, two, two. <laughs> Chapter 1, Take 2, the podcast where we discuss book-to-film adaptions and basically how we felt about them. Yeah. This week has been a bit harder to talk about because The Princess Bride is both an amazing novel and a fantastic film. Absolutely. Uh, As always, please like or rate or don't like, but rate, review, and subscribe and tell your friends word of mouth is the beast. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe and tell your friends about this podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great evening or day, depending on when you're listening to this. You know, whenever. Yes. I'm I'm Maddie. I'm Bree. Bye. (laughs) See ya. Bye.